Well, it's Thanksgiving season, and hopefully you're enjoying time with family and friends and thankful in this season. In this edition of Stay the Water, we're going to take a look at 2024 and its legislative preview. It's Stay the Water. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Ville. Stay tuned for this Thanksgiving special. Welcome back. It's Stay the Water. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Laville. Once again, we hope that you enjoyed your Thanksgiving holiday with family and friends. This is indeed truly a time to be thankful. I know that we're thankful for all of you, our faithful supporters of not just Stay the Water and WNSB Hot 91, but also the Spartan Nation here at Norfolk State University. You know, Seattle, there are many things for us to be thankful for. I mean, I'm thankful for the year that we've had here at the university, but also thankful of all the blessings that we've had as well. Yes. I mean, 2023 was like two hours long, really. You know, it's gone by really <laughs> fast. But, you know, I feel like this was like our real first time outside of the pandemic, Yeah, kind of, you know, and it was a good time to be able to be around family and friends, um, just like you're doing right now, celebrating your holiday and being on the break. And, you know, at one point, you know, we it was mandated that we had to have masks on the past couple of yes, years. Yes, yes. And now it's, to be able to see everyone's smiles and their faces and laughter, you know, it's just it's a really good feeling. Absolutely. You're exactly right, because, again, just a year ago, we all had masks on. I couldn't see your face. You couldn't see mine. But right now, we're, we're looking at each other, talking with each other. Uh, again, we've got a phenomenal uh, medicines out there, vaccines, and everybody's walking around safe and healthy. And not only that, but God's been blessing this university, yes. investing the station in us as well. So this is truly a time to count our blessings. That's right. <laughs> it's a good time to be around family and friends. That's what it's all about. The food is good. You know, uh, all the holidays, you know, around the corner and, you know, presents and everything. But the best thing is to be able to really be around your loved ones and cherish them. Absolutely. You know, speaking of looking forward and being thankful, you know, we just finished an election and not only, but it's time to look forward because we've got bills that are pre-filed and I want, we're looking at a glimpse of what's going to happen in 2024. So the first bills, according to the Virginia Mercury of 2024 General Assembly have already dropped. And there are some provisions that we're looking for to take place in our constitution and also to help the people of the Commonwealth with their finances. So according to Virginia Mercury, Virginia's General Assembly won't convene until January 10th, but senators and delegates have already begun pinning legislation. And that we mean that the Virginia uh, Division of Legislative Services is hard at work translating their goals into high-flown tones of the state code. So just this past Monday, the start of 2024 sessions, official pre-filing period, where lawmakers dropped the first bills that will be up for consideration this January. Now, we all know it was a very contentious election this particular cycle. Yes. <laughs> where we saw the commercials. We saw, you know, the battleground districts to get control of the legislature. You know, we had a very lot of contentious uh, ads here in, the, in, here in Hampton Roads. You know, uh, Scandals, when you saw a lot of those ads, what came to mind? They were just going head to head. <laughs> they were they were showing no mercy, and everyone was just hungry to get that top spot. Absolutely, you know. But the Democrats did prevail, where they have a majority in the House and also the Senate. But of course, the governor still has control of the executive office. So we're going to take a look now at where we are moving forward. Now, according to the Virginia Mercury, 
Much more is yet to come as both Democrats and Republicans jockey for ways to realize their key priorities on everything from hot button issues like abortion access to more bread and butter legislation that ensures state laws and agencies remain abreast of an ever changing world. Before we actually get into the bills that are actually foul, scandalous, just from a community perspective, what would you like to see the legislators do when they get it going to session? I would like to see more. I mean, community is, is closely tied to schools. I would like to see stronger security for our school systems. Mm. That's what I would really like to see. Absolutely. You know, unfortunately, we've had a lot of tragic things happen, both in our K-12 and also universities, with bomb threats that we received just here at Norfolk State and other yes. HBCUs. And, of course, um, unfortunately, gun violence, yes. which is prevalent across the country. So, to your point, our schools are not immune from that. So, education is key, but also safety yes. of our children are key as well. You mentioned being community-focused. You know, a lot of times persons say... Uh, Politicians come when they want to get elected, but you don't see them afterwards. What are one of the things that you would like to see, you know, from our politicians, elected officials, our public servants after the election? I would like to see them at more of the events that have nothing to do with a political standpoint, you know, just to, you know, come and show face. Uh, just recently, um, Hot 91, we were at the uh, uh, Alzheimer's Association walk That's to right. end Alzheimer's and our Congressman Bobby Scott was there. <laughs> you know, so it was it was great to see him there. Uh, the mayor of Chesapeake was there, yep. you know, and people were out there rallying for, you know, a great cause and and raising awareness to Alzheimer's. You know, I would like to see more events like that and see more political figures uh, showing up at events like that to show people, hey, you know, I'm here with you and I can relate to um, your loss or whatever it is that you're going through in your life. Absolutely. Well, as always, look, it's a pleasure uh, having you on the show and, and having you, uh, your voice. Very important, not just to WNSB in, in Norfolk State, but it's important to this entire community. Marvin Folks, also known as DA Scandalous, which you can hear on air every day from 2 to 6 p.m. Marvin, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you so much, Dr. Claville. <laughs> now, let's delve into what is being filed already in the state legislature and what we'll see in 2024. So, as we stated earlier, Democrats do have control of both the House and the Senate, and now it's an opportunity for them to deliver on campaign promises. But the Republicans are not too far behind in their filing of bills and delivering on their promises as well. So let's take a look at one of the first bills that are going that's already introduced as amendments to the Constitution. According to the Virginia Mercury, the first is the Constitution Amendments on Abortion. Now, two bills, House Joint Resolution 1 from Delegate uh, Herring, Democrat out of Alexandria, and also Senate Joint Resolution 1 from multiple female Democratic senators. This would start the process of amending the state constitution to declare that every individual has the fundamental right to reproductive freedom and that the right should not be denied or infringed upon unless justified by a compelling state interest and achieved by the least restrictive means that do not infringe an individual's autonomous decision-making process. When we talk about 
the actual work, the actual work of the legislature. Part of it is not to introduce bills, but also joint resolutions, where you start the process now to amend the Constitution. Now, no single bill has the power to change the state constitution. So amendments require that a resolution be passed by a majority of houses, both houses, during a session, then held over to be passed again the next elected legislature with an election intervening between the two approvals. Now, if it succeeds the second time, voters must approve the change in a referendum before it takes effect. So when we take a look at this particular provision, this, of course, we know was an election promise uh, during the time period of the election cycle. We know that the Republicans ran on common sense or what they call common sense uh, uh, bill or ban on abortion or women's right to choose of 15 weeks. And then, of course, the Democrats ran on full access or not infringing upon those rights and let that decision be made between the woman and also their family and doctor. With that being the case, this is one way that they will actually end up fulfilling that campaign promise. Now, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, you can't change the Constitution with just one bill. So, therefore, it has to pass both houses in a, in a joint resolution in two cycles of the legislature. Then it goes on uh, it goes on the ballot box, on the ballot, to the ballot box, for a referendum to where voters have a chance to vote on it. So this is where your voice is heard. Your voice is heard in the process to determine what laws that we have, that we live by, more specifically in our Constitution itself. Now, let's take a look at the second constitutional amendment that is already pre-filed. And this is a constitutional amendment on felon voting rights. Now, two bills, the House Joint Resolution 2 uh, from Delegate Elizabeth Bennett Parker, Democrat out of Alexandria, and Senate Joint Resolution 2 from Senator Mamie Locke, Democrat out of Hampton, would begin the process of amending the Constitution to restore voting rights to felons who have served their time. Now, currently, Virginia is the only state in the U.S. that strips voting rights from all felons for their entire life with restoration only possible if they petition the governor and the governor decides to grant their request. Quote, a person who has been convicted of a felony shall not be entitled to vote during any period of incarceration for such felony conviction, but upon release from incarceration for that felony conviction and without further action required of him, such person shall be invested with all political rights, including the right to vote, this is what the amendment actually states. So with this, it takes away the actual power of the governor's office of actually restoring these rights. But these rights are now invested or restored back upon this person after they serve their time. You know, when we talk about um, a person paying their debt to society, many times when you serve your time after you're duly convicted of a crime and you serve your time that is imposed or your sentence imposed by you by the court, many people argue that that person is still enduring serving that particular sentence because of all the restrictions 
that are placed upon you during your time period while you're released. In other words, there are some things that you can do. Uh, you always have to put on your application that you have you have a convicted felon. And then from there, it's hard to get jobs, hard to find a place to live, and so forth. But what this amendment looks to do, it looks to provide individuals who have served their, duly served their time, pay their uh, debts to society, to have their rights restored automatically after their time is served and no further action is required of them. So once again, this is an opportunity for you uh, to have your voice heard because this amendment would actually have to go through the process of being passed by two houses and voted upon by you, the public. Let's take a look at another constitutional amendment that is up, uh, that has been pre-filed. And this is the constitutional amendment on property tax, exemption for surviving spouses of a soldier who died in the line of duty. Again, according to the Virginia Mercury, the General Assembly previously passed a potential constitutional amendment that would extend the property tax exemption that's currently available to the spouses of soldiers killed in action to spouses of soldiers who died in the line of duty. Now, this year, Delegate Jeremy McPike, Democrat out of Prince William, has proposed a second vote on the amendment as well as a bill that would authorize the required referendum on the issue. So this particular bill has already uh, been put up uh, or joint resolution. Now, this becomes a second vote on this particular uh, this particular bill. And if it if it is voted up on in the affirmative, what will happen, it goes now to the actual states and will actually go to the citizens within the state of the Commonwealth of Virginia to be brought up on issue as a referendum. So once again, Constitutional Amendment on Property Tax Exemption for Surviving Spouses of a Soldier Who Died in the Line of Duty. Once again, something that we provide, looks to provide a benefit to those who gave and serve our country and gave the ultimate sacrifice of their lives for our freedom. But not only that, but we have some other bills that are that are looking to make their way to the floor to be debated and decided upon in this current legislative session. It's Stay the Water. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Laville, and you're joining us for this Thanksgiving special as we take a look, a glimpse at 2024 and bills that we can find that are going to be debated in our General Assembly that will determine how we govern our lives. In the first part of the show, we talked about three constitutional amendments that will go up for debate and possible joint impossible referendum. The first being the Constitution Amendment on Abortion, which is a House Joint Resolution bill by Delegate Heron of Alexandria and the Senate Resolution uh, bill from multiple Democratic senators, uh, which basically removes any provisions and restores a fundamental right to reproductive freedom. The second Constitution Amendment is removing restrictions from felons and restoring their voting rights after they have served their time and no other requirements are imposed upon them. And the third constitutional amendment is a, a constitutional amendment on property tax exemption for surviving spouses of a soldier who died in the line of duty. Now, let's take a look at three other bills that are made their way in pre that are not constitutional amendments. 
One is the increase to the state minimum wage. Now, according to the Virginia Mercury, in 2020, the Virginia General Assembly, under Democratic control, voted to gradually raise the state minimum wage from $7.25 an hour to $12 an hour over the course of three years. That legislation also provided for further increases of the minimum to $13.50 in 2025 and $15 in 2026 if the General Assembly again voted to approve them by July 1st, 2024. Now, if those increases didn't get a second green light, the bill ordered that the minimum wage be pegged to inflation going forward. So, House Bill 1 from Delegate Ward, Gian Ward, Democrat out of Hampton, and Senate Bill 1 from Senator Louise Lucas, Democrat out of Portsmouth, would actually restart the increases on the same schedule laid out in 2020. So, what are we looking forward to? In this particular bill, we're going to see an hourly raise to $12 an hour over the course of three years. Now, and also again, $13.50 in 2025 and $15 to $2026. So, I don't know about you, but additional resources in order to buy goods and services for your home is a good thing. You know, so for those of you who are starting out working, for those of you who are looking to start your lives or you're currently working and making minimum wage, this is an increase for you to help you bridge the gap in your finances and for your family. (laughs) I remember when I started working, uh, minimum wage was $4.25 an hour. So, and of course, I, I remember prior to that when it was $2.35 and, and so forth. So from $7.25 to $12 to $13.50 to $15 is a phenomenal increase here in the Commonwealth of Virginia for our economy and our workers. So look for that bill in this session. Also, assault weapons ban. Now, earlier in the show, you know, we had a conversation with uh, Marvin folks known as DJ Scandalous, where we talked about the safety of our schools, the safety of our our K-12 and our college campuses and how assault weapons. We know throughout our country, there is a culture of violence It's a culture of individuals taking the right to bear arms and unfortunately using that against innocent citizens or even using those those weapons to solve problems that don't need a gun. And unfortunately, we have those who are utilizing those weapons to perpetuate hate upon others. So this assault weapon ban, of course, is a discussion that it's not just an easy uh, one, two, three, but this assault weapon ban is going to come with a lot of fight across the board. We know that the NRA and those who are proponents of the Second Amendment are individuals that really fight against any type of uh, ban or limitations upon different types of weapons or their right in order to carry a weapon or own a weapon. Some see it for hunting purposes. Others see it for protection. Others argue that the founders of the Constitution actually provided this to our citizenry in order to protect against a government that may be overreaching, not only for self-defense, 
but against our own government themselves. Whatever the case may be, we know that assault weapons, and for those of us that served in the military like myself, you know, there are some weapons that we see that should not be on the streets. You know, I've, I've said it before, and the argument's been there across the board. I'm not sure if people need grenade launchers. They need uh, M16s or, or M16A2s or AR-15s or, or AK-47s in their home. I, I don't see it because those weapons are meant for warfare as opposed to the protections that we hold dear to ourselves here in our, in our own self and our own property. But once again, we will see this bill being followed. So what is actually the bill itself? It's a bill from Delegate Dan Helmer, Democrat out of Fairfax, and Senator Craig Dees, Democrat out of Charlottesville. It would make it a class one misdemeanor for anyone to import, sell, manufacture, purchase, possess, transport, or transfer an assault firearm. Now, notably, according to the Virginia Mercury, the bill includes exceptions for any firearm that is antique, permanently inoperable, manually operated by boat, pump, lever, or slot action, or manufactured before July 1st, 2024. So what this bill actually does, of course, we know that we have a lot of people who are um, collectors of various weapons uh, throughout our history. So it doesn't ban those from being uh, purchased across or purchased at different shows or as antiques. And it also does not uh, come against anything manufactured before July 1st, 2024, which would be the actual end of the legislative session. But what it does, it actually puts a ban on weapons manufactured after that time period. So any new weapons that are out there. Now, once again, as it relates to, and we'll talk about this uh, a little bit later, what is the process in Virginia as relates to veto. But, you know, we can actually see probably this being not just contentious uh, with our voters, but also contentious in the legislatures, legislature and with the executive house here in Virginia with our governor. So you could probably look for that bill to be vetoed if it makes it out of the House and the Senate. But also, the other bill is repealing Virginia's clean cars law. Delegate Tony Wilt, a Republican out of Rockingham, and Senator Richard Stewart, Republican out of Westmoreland, have put forward bills to repeal a 2021 Democratic-backed law that tied Virginia's vehicle emission standards to California's rather than following the federal government's less strict limits. Now, under the Clean Air Act, according to the Virginia Mercury, states are prohibited from setting their own vehicle emission standards and must choose between the federal and California limits. Now, since Virginia adopted the California standards, the Golden State has decided to ban the sale of new gas-powered cars beginning in 2035, a choice that Virginia will also be bound to follow. So Senate Bill 3 from, Senators, uh, from, from Senator Stewart would simply repeal the 2021 law. And House Bill 3 from Delegate Wilt would go a step further, forbidding the State Air Pollution Control Board from adopting or enforcing any model year standards relating to controlling emissions from new vehicles and prohibiting the state from requiring any new car 
to be certified as compliant with model year standards related to the control of emissions adopted by the state of California. So this, we know that we are on a track or trajectory to reduce our carbon footprint. We know that it adds to our uh, greenhouse gases, which also increases carbon and, of course, heats up the, the, the planet. Some people believe that the, the cars themselves and this Clean Air Act goes too far uh, and stops industry from making strides. Others believe it doesn't go far enough. So we'll see if this bill makes it out. If it doesn't make it out, we'll see if there is something that may be done uh, across the board uh, from the executive office. But these are bills that have already been pre-filed. These are the issues that we will see debated, but there will be plenty more as we get closer to the pre-filing deadline of November 30th. Now, once again, Democrats will have control of both the House and and the Senate when lawmakers return to Richmond in January. But according to the Virginia Mercury, the slimness of their majorities means that they aren't guaranteed to get everything that they want. Now, what is the process about of how a bill actually becomes law in Virginia? According to the Virginia, Sem- Virginia General Assembly publications, the bill is sent to the governor for approval once it passes the House and the Senate, where the governor may do one of three things. The governor may sign the bill into law. The governor may amend the bill and return it to the General Assembly for approval, which is what we call line item veto or amendment. Or he may veto the bill and return it to the General Assembly where the House of Delegates and the Senate may override the veto by two-thirds vote of both the House and also of the Senate. Now, how likely is it that the, the bill itself or a veto will be overturned during the session or when the governor vetoes it? Well, <laughs> let's just say it becomes highly unlikely given what we have here, the slim margins, both in the House and the Senate for the Democrats. In other words, could you get 75? Well, could you get 66, 67 delegates in the House to actually override a governor's veto where the margin that's, that you have the lead is between two and three seats? Of course, the same applies to the Senate. In actuality, the answer is probably no. So when we see this fight, this fight for new laws, this fight for laws uh, to be passed in the General Assembly, when it comes to contentious issues, such as the Constitutional Amendment, when it comes to contentious issues, such as the Clean Air Act itself, and the ban on assault weapons, look for a back and forth between the General Assembly itself and the Democrats and the Republicans, and then also the governor's mansion. Well, we'll see who actually has the power to enact laws and to make true change. But (laughs) it doesn't just stop there. As a matter of fact, not only are lawmakers seeking changes in bills, but they're also seeking changes in funding. So this is the year where 
the governor's budget has an opportunity. The governor has an opportunity to introduce his budget, and this is a budget year for us. So these are laws and bills that we look, constitution amendments that are pre-filed, but there's also a part two, and this is our budget. What are the negotiations for our budget this year and for the next two years? And where are the areas where Democrats and Republicans are going to stand steadfast in their actual areas where they're advocating for and not give any room? And where would the governor land? Well, one thing about it, it's going to be an interesting conversation, but we're going to be watching it and bringing it to you because this is where policy and law meets the community, where we bring movers, shakers, and policymakers to you to discuss issues important to the community. Thank you so much for joining us for this Thanksgiving special as we take a look ahead at the General Assembly and the laws that will be debated on the floor that could dictate your lives. As always, be good, be great, God bless, and we'll see you next week.